WHHH Indianapolis. It's Open Lines with Cameron Riddle on Hot 96.3. Hold up. And good morning to you, Indianapolis. I'm Indy's newsman, Cameron Riddle, coming to you live from the Hot 96.3 and 106.7 WTLC Studios in downtown Indianapolis. Now, check your clock. First thing I need you to do, it is 8.01. If your clock says 7.01, need to go ahead and adjust that bad boy. But don't don't have a heart attack, and and I'm not trying to be cute about that. Today and tomorrow is one of the days that... uh, Heart attacks actually increase because people look at their clocks and think that they're uh, not on time for something. So it is 8 o'clock. I do feel cheated uh, with daylight savings time kicking in this morning at 2 a.m. So uh, thank you to the iPhones and Androids that switch automatically. The rest of the clocks in the house and in your car, uh, you are, you're okay. You're okay. All right. On the show this morning. Indigo will join us here at 8.30 to talk about the latest with the Purple Line. Uh, They are coming with lots of information about hiring. They are looking for, of course, uh, folks to drive those big, long uh, buses for the Red Line, the Purple Line, Blue Line, and all of the other Indigo routes. Uh, Plus, closures have now officially begun along 38th Street, and this is just going to be the first of many They have the details on how you can get around both in your car and on the bus. But there's also information for you if you are a business or an organization that is directly impacted by these closures. Indigo wants to help you with some advertising to let folks know you are still there and you are still open. They've also got details on how you can get in your hands on one of these construction projects for the upcoming uh, Blue Line. A lot of money out there. Do not miss your opportunity in some way, shape, or form to get involved in the millions of dollars uh, being spent here in Indianapolis. We'll start the show this morning talking about what's happening at the State House. The session is now officially over, uh, and several bills that we've talked about over the course of this session have become national stories that we've talked about right here on Open Lines. So this morning, Ray Steele from WRTV will help us keep an eye on the State House, bringing us up to speed on the bills that died and the bills that made it. We'll talk with Ray coming up here in just a few moments, but first, let's get you caught up on what's happening today in the news. Indianapolis police have arrested a driver who they believe is connected to a deadly hit and run that we first told you about last month right here on Open Lines. IMPD says preliminary charges against 28-year-old Brooke Bowling include failure to remain at the scene of an accident resulting in death, driving while suspended with a prior, and leaving the scene of an accident resulting in the death or catastrophic injury. Bowling is accused of being the driver who hit and killed 38-year-old Enrique Gaspar near East Troy and Beach Streets on the south side. The crash was caught on surveillance video. 14-year-old Devonta White and 15-year-old Isaiah Jackson are being remembered this weekend after the two teams were found shot to death at Dewberry Park Monday night on Indy's east side. 
Their families held a vigil last night. So far, IMPD says no arrests have been made in the case. Anyone with information about what happened to these young boys is urged to call Crime Stoppers. You can remain anonymous by calling 317-262-TIPS. Nearly two weeks after IMPD officer Tommy Mangan was shot in the throat in the line of duty, he is now home from the hospital. Mangan was shot on February 27th, and that left him with serious injuries to his Adam's apple and voice box. According to Fox 59, IMPD says due to the severity of his injuries, there was uncertainty regarding whether Mangan will return to normal breathing, speaking, or swallowing. In the forecast, a visit from old man winter the past two days. Well, guess what? Lady Spring will make her return today. Temperatures this week will be in the 60s and up to 70 by Thursday. Possible showers on Tuesday. Today, though, it is dry and windy with a high of 51 degrees. Right now, it is 26 degrees in Indy. The legislative session. And the state of Indiana has now come to a close. And what a ride it has been. On this show, we have uh, kept you updated multiple times throughout the legislative season. Uh, And in some cases, our general manager and station has even asked you to pick up the phone and call the powers that be and tell them that you don't want certain bills to see the light of day. That particular bill was House Bill 1134, which would change the way teachers could teach history in Indiana classrooms. That, of course, made national headlines, uh, was met with a very unwarm welcome from the state's educators. And, of course, that bill, as we told you here, did not survive. But there have been several other bills that have been met with a lot of resistance, like uh, the gun bill. Uh, The gun permit bill, we told you last week, if not the week before, that that bill had died. Well, I also told you that morning that there's a chance this could squeeze through. So there's a lot of things that have happened in the past week when senators and representatives tried to uh, rework bills and sneak them in at the last second, push them through at the last second. And a lot of that did happen this week to let us know exactly what happened over the past couple of days is my very good friend from WRTV. Mr. Ray Steele. Ray is on our live line, joins us this morning. Ray, good morning. Good morning, Cameron. You mean I'm not here to drop some, oh, this is the wrong day to drop some Eric if I do on this station, right? Oh, oh, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Not exactly Sunday friendly, though, man. Well, you know, after 10 a.m., I suppose. (laughs) That's that's when the music switches back, after 10 a.m. Okay, man. All right. Good to talk to you, Cameron. It's good to talk to you, man. You know, I always... uh, you, you've always done the state house roundup there over at uh, at six, and you know I've had several different reporters come on and keep us updated. So I said, let's close it out with the state house roundup uh, with with Ray Steele because uh, you do such a great job. Because uh, there's a lot to keep keep an eye on, and if you blink, you could miss something uh, over at the state house. So w- what's been? I guess tell us how things wrapped up at the state house. Well, they wrapped up as they usually do with a flurry of activity that ended with some bills passing. You alluded to the gun permit bill that appeared to be dead and is now not uh, getting through. It looked like some elements of some other bills. Uh, You mentioned 1134. There was also Senate Bill 17 or what was originally Senate Bill 17, which dealt with what supporters of the bill called obscene material in libraries and public school uh, and public school libraries. Um, and that did not get through, and we can talk about the, the reasons why. But again, all of this happening really the last day, the last two days of the session, as is usually the case, as the lawmakers 
scrambled to get out of there before. Let's. I don't think it's, it's it's an open secret that they try to get out before the Big Ten basketball tournament, men's basketball tournament starts when the calendar coincides with that, and that was uh, no exception this year. They did manage to get out before the uh, tournament started. And uh, But again, and this is something else we may talk about down the road, they may not be done this year. There's a chance they could come back, depending on how the Supreme Court rules in that abortion law case out of Mississippi. But that's that may be an entirely other show. Plenty to talk about from the past two to three months that happened uh, down at the state capitol. Well, Ray, you're, you're exactly right. One of the biggest uh, stories, of course, that that we talked about was that 1134. Uh, and then in that were several other education-related uh, bills. Tell us the demise of, 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 of House Bill 30, 40, 1134, which originally uh, was, was Senate bill. Uh, how did this one close out? 1134 made it through the House uh, relatively easily. Uh, and, and this is a, a recurring theme you'll see in the legislature, even with a Republican supermajority, how House Republicans and Senate Republicans don't necessarily agree on how to do things. 1134 made it through the House easily. It got to the Senate, and when it got to committee in the Senate, it was dramatically changed and, let's face it, dramatically weakened as far as what could be done in relations to teachers who might teach what some parents would call objectionable material. We use the air quotes around objectionable material. Um, So that kind of – it eventually died in the Senate because nobody could agree – on what it should do, uh, and and there were you know some last minute machinations to try to bring some of 1134 back in other legislation. Once we got to the conference committees, the last two weeks of the session, but it never materialized again because House Republicans, Senate Republicans, could not agree on what to do. House Republicans wanted to go farther. They initially wanted to give parents the power to sue teachers in court if they taught material that they did not approve of. The Senate stripped that provision out, and it also, um, you know, it gave teachers, while they still technically could not teach um, about material related to American history, related to racism throughout American history, while nominally they were restricted from that, it, it still gave teachers more leeway. And what happened, I think, is this. Teachers turned out at the State House in large numbers. They lobbied lawmakers one-on-one, and usually it was like five or six-on-one, five or six teachers for every member of the state Senate. And these are local people. These are these uh, the, the folks that these lawmakers know from back home personally. And I think it was that kind of personal relationship mm-hmm. to, um, you know, to, to, to come back a bit on, on this bill, So, and much to the chagrin of House lawmakers. So in the end, 1134 did not get passed at all. Now, Senate Bill 17, an entirely different matter, this dealt with what was termed objectionable material in public libraries and in schools, meaning, uh, again, the the people who were pushing this bill would talk about sexual content in books aimed at kids who were, say, 13 and younger, 12 and younger, something like that. But as we have seen around the country, laws like this that have been enacted have typically been used – to go after material that talks about the LGBTQ plus community, particularly, uh, you know, talking about uh, kids who are experiencing, uh, you know, feelings and, and who eventually may come out as gay or come out as transgender. There are a group of conservative parents who don't like that, 
And so they use laws like this to target material like this, whether it's in public schools or public libraries. And that was the aim of Senate Bill 17. Uh, Senate Bill 17, elements of it did eventually make its way back into a conference committee. However, it was buried in a hodgepodge of other measures uh, in, in one particular bill that did a little bit of everything. And in the end, the Senate said, no, this is too much. And uh, this, the Senate uh, Republican supermajority could not agree to pass that large bill because there was something objectionable about it for various senators. And so in the end, Senate Bill 17 was rejected also. We're on the air this morning with Ray Steele, producer from WRTV, who is keeping an eye on the State House with the State House Roundup as the session has now uh, closed for the year. Ray, you were just talking about some bills that have to do with students and schools and the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, one bill that did get through was the bill about transgender uh, students and sports. That one did get through, controversial, but is law now, correct? Uh, it is not law yet because Governor Holcomb has not signed right. it. We don't know whether or not he's going to. Uh, he has stated publicly that he believes, in his words, girls should play girls' sports, but he did not qualify that to whether that means transgender girls also. So, And, and, and here's the thing about that one. There's not a case that we have found, and I know the sponsors of the bill said that they had brought up or had heard of one case of a transgender girl playing girls' sports at the high school level, that example, specifics of that example, were never offered to us at WRTV, nor to my knowledge, anyone else covering the state house. So as far as we know, there have been no transgender girls competing in higher-level female sports in Indiana. That said, this, again, is part of a nationwide push uh, led by a group called, and I know you're familiar with the American Legislative Exchange Council, mm -hmm. uh, ALEC, as it's known internally. Uh, that group writes specific bills that it distributes to state houses all across the country in an effort to get them passed. And they're all virtually identical bills. Uh, it's why we had lawmakers from Idaho, where a similar law was approved. It is now the law, even though it's being held up in court. There were lawmakers from Idaho testifying on behalf of this bill here in Indiana, testifying in favor of it. And, and that's, that's how this, uh, this sometimes works. That's how the sausage is made, if you will. Um, but it's part of a national push to keep transgender girls out of girls' sports because of this perception based on a literal handful of cases across the country that boys are going to take over girls' sports. It's, it's really not happening. But again, there are you know, a couple of isolated cases around the country in which transgender girls have competed at a higher level. Now, the Indiana High School Athletic Association did not want this bill. They said they already had uh, a process in place to exclude a transgender girl if it was determined on an individual basis that that girl might have some sort of competitive advantage. And they do have that process in place. They testified against this bill. In the end, it didn't matter. It did pass. And uh, this is one of those that uh, you know, Republicans, once it comes to the election time, they can rally the base, especially those uh, lawmakers who have to face uh, primary voters here in a couple of months. Um, they can rally the base, the conservative base, and say, look, we are, quote, unquote, protecting girls' sports. Now, even if Governor Holcomb signs it, it's going to be challenged in court. The ACLU of Indiana has already announced that, 
And in all likelihood, at the very least, it will be held up for a while while it makes its way through the court system. 317-239-9696. 317-239-9696. That's the number to get on the air this morning. If you got a question about a bill that uh, that we've talked about here on the show and want to know where it stands, did it die, did it pass, has it been signed, is it waiting for a signature from Governor Holcomb, you can call us, 317-239-9696. My man Ray is uh, staying on top of everything that's been happening at the State House. We do have some calls, Ray, and I'll get to them in just a second. But real quick, we the, the gun bill was a story that I brought to the listeners last week and said, uh, hey, folks, it looks like this bill has died. However, there was still a chance it could come back. And that's exactly what happened with uh, requiring Hoosiers to have a gun permit. And and this is one of the most interesting bills uh, because, again, this is something else that's happened in a lot of states. Again, at the behest of the aforementioned American Legislative Exchange Council, uh, one of those bills that they basically hand-wrote to distribute to lots of states, and a lot of states have enacted these already, as is, I'm guessing, in all likelihood, Indiana. We don't know what the governor will do with this, but even if he vetoes it, uh, his veto could be overridden with a simple majority of the House and Senate. And we do know that a simple majority of the House and Senate already are in favor of getting rid of licensing for handguns in Indiana. Uh, but it's, it's created this interesting alliance between police groups and uh, those who typically align with the Democratic Party, because as you know, Mm -hmm. those two don't uh, come together uh, all all that often on issues, or at least on some issues. And uh, police groups are particularly vocal against this was Doug Carter, the state police superintendent, who was very blunt in his last testimony before a a legislative committee on this, who basically told Republicans that they uh, were worried more about uh, winning a primary election than protecting police officers, because their argument being that police are now not able, if this becomes law, they're not able to see whether somebody can legally have a gun. They're not allowed to ask that person, hey, do you have a permit to carry that gun? Uh, that's going to be outlawed if, this, if, if the governor signs this or if this becomes law in Indiana. So that reduces a, a layer of protection for police officers. And of course, we just went through a uh, police officer being shot and severely wounded in the line of duty here in Indianapolis within the past few weeks. So uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this moves forward, whether this will be challenged in court, because, as I said, this is already the law in a number of other states. And that was, as you mentioned, you know, the police were not at all for this. Uh, several uh, police departments spoke out against it, as you said. Uh, the, the top cop, if you will, from the state police uh, Doug Carter asked for this bill not to go through, and I can't remember which, if it was the Speaker of the House or if it was the uh, Senate leader, but they were said they were disappointed in, in Doug Carter and, and the things that he had to say uh, regarding this bill. So as you said, in normal times, the Republicans have been uh, championing the police and do pretty much whatever police departments ask, and, and that has not been the case this time where the police have been on the side with where Democrats typically stand, and um, it is made for an interesting year, especially when you juxtapose it to the past two years and the different things that have happened in politics and in social justice. It's it's kind of a 180. It's Actually, it's totally a 180. It is, and, and it's, it's something that Democrats in this state and nationally are trying to take advantage of, because I know the, the quote-unquote defund the police slogan argument. Again, that's an entirely different show right now, Mm -hmm. but it's one that has been used against Democrats in elections and used effectively nationally. And now 
Uh, not only do uh, Democrats have on their side funding from the American Rescue Plan, some of the other big legislation passed last year by Congress, which did contain a lot of funding for police departments here in Indiana and all across the country. They now have this issue in which they're siding with police and Republicans aren't. Now, whether that makes a difference come election time in Indiana, in a very conservative state, remains to be seen. But it is a, a very interesting dichotomy now, as opposed to where we were two years ago during the summer after the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Let's go to the phones, 317-239-9696, 317-239-9696. And I'm just going to say some housekeeping business over the air to our producer, Brandon. Brandon, we will do one commercial break uh, closer to 830 and just go ahead and combine it, make it uh, six minutes, do whatever you have to do. Uh, 317-239-9696, 317-239-9696. Let's go to the phones. Caller on line two. Good morning. Who's this? Hey, Cameron. How you doing this morning? I'm good morning, sir. I'm good. Will you turn your radio down a little bit? Yeah, I just did. Thank you, sir. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. I want to uh, say greetings to everybody, including your guest. I, I just want to ask your guest this one question. I hope they can answer it for me. Uh, and I also want to say, uh, you know, it's amazing. Adults can do what they want to do. You know, pushing this homosexual agenda on our children is just ridiculous to me. But I wanted to know, these people that write these bills, can you tell me how to write a bill to disarm this government? That's my question. Uh, I, I, I just want to know how to do it. Since I can't get no help in uh, uh, just shutting this system down that's against our people, I want to know how to dismantle it legally, or is there a legal course that I can go in there and, and present a bill to them? Uh, well, Paul, let me first ask you, have you ever just considered running for for office? No, I, I can't. I can't run for any any type of office because I'm a former felon. <laughs> I'm a former felon, so I can't run for any type of political office or anything like that. And even if and even if I could, uh, uh, I would have been done done it. Who's your uh, uh, who's your representative? Who, who Me. Who's your who's your I'm, who's your state rep or your state senator? I have no uh, other than Andre Carson. I have no idea. Uh, you know, because I don't, I don't, I don't, I no longer participate uh, in this so-called voting thing uh, because I know how it uses our people and it don't support our people. So I can't participate in anything um, that's against us and that uses us for their betterment to do nothing for our community. Well, I mean, the the answer is right there. That's a, that you asked. How do you get a bill passed? That's one: either run or you got to contact your local. Uh, state representative or state senator and say, hey, this is what I need. You can do that. That's how a lot of these bills come up. Well, that's what I needed to know, Cameron. Thank you. Thank you. you know, I write letters to the president and stuff. So, you know, I'm not joking about this uh, and I will take action. Just as, like I said, all I need is some guidance. Once I get some guidance, then that's how I operate. I, I move on after that. Well, start so by I, finding I really out. It because I think you answered me. Yeah. Find, start by finding out. If you can't run for office, you got to talk to the person who can. So you need to start by finding out who is your state representative or who is your state senator and send them an email. That's how it starts. Go from there. And I do have a relationship with Andre Carson. We we do talk back and forth about. Well, but he's on he's on the Fed level. You want to start with, you know, with you can you can go there, but you work, work your way up. OK, well, thank you, Cameron. That's, I sure appreciate it. All right. That's the answer, man. Have a good day. 
You too. All right, 317-239-9696, 317-239-9696. We're on the air this morning with Ray Steele from WRTV, uh, keeping an eye on what is happening at the State House. If you got questions or comments about bills that have passed or bills that have died or at at the State House, this session that we've talked about, you know, the gun bill, House Bill 1134, there was supposed to be a takeover in some way, shape, or form of IMPD. I'm going to ask Ray about that in a second, but we got more calls. 317-239-9696. Caller on line one. Good morning. Who's this? Uh, hi, Cameron. Ray. Good morning, Larry. Hey, you know, he mentioned a lot of things, but he didn't mention Senate Bill number 361. It Which one was that? It up a, a, a feudal system here within the state of Indiana, wherein... You can uh, take income taxes. You know your income taxes, like from Indianapolis, and our sales tax that we uh, collect within our borders, right? It can take those taxes and transfer them to a city like South Bend or maybe Terre Haute, uh, some of the poorer cities here in the state, transfer that money just like they do TIF districts here in the city of Indianapolis. So they've enlarged on that and actually – and most people might not understand it, but this system has been set up by Mitch Daniels when they enacted property tax caps, right? All the trouble we're having with our schools and so forth, it's all because of property tax caps where corporations are paying no taxes whatsoever. I think if they want to do a real good story at Channel 6, they need to go into the property tax thing because we're going down a dangerous road. People need to look at a Senate bill. 361. Now, it's a bill that turns our state into a feudal system. I don't know whether you're familiar with the Dark Ages, Cameron, but they didn't have slaves then. They had serfs that were tied to the land. They were not slaves. They were worse off than slaves. If they keep on doing what they got, what Mitch Daniels has set up here in this state, his plans, right? They're going to have us in a condition worse than slavery. In fact, we're going to be begging to be slaves. And one more thing, Cameron, look at all the construction that's going on on the highway. Look at all these flying bridges and stuff. All of them are being fabricated with the uh, concrete three-form beams. They last about five years. This is some of Mitch's deals with the major move system that he set up here in the system. He diminished all the requirements for the material used in our interstate system. So we're rebuilding something now, dealing with the traffic and everything that's going to be just like the streets that they lay down. They last about five or six years, and then you're doing the same thing again. But I think you're doing reporting at the news station. I don't watch it, but I think what needs to happen is you need to report on stories that are really affecting us now and in the future because the future's coming. In fact, it's here right now. Thanks, Kevin. All right. Yes, Thank you, Larry. Cameron. Thank you. All right, 317-239-9696, 317-239-9696. Larry just reminded me, Ray, there were a couple of bills with, like, school boards. Um, there was a referendum bill, and I can't, I'm trying to look it up because I can't remember. We talked about it here on the show a couple of times about uh, how if a school board has a referendum, let's say, in uh, in Washington Township, instead of some of that money going to North Central High School, it could go to a charter school in that district. I can't remember. I don't know if you know which bill that was, but I'm trying to see where that one uh, landed. Yeah, I'm trying to find that too myself because I, I do remember talking about that uh, a, a little bit. It got you know, There are so many things that happen. A lot of this gets buried, and then it gets unpacked after the session is mm-hmm. over. But, uh, yeah, that, that's a, a particularly uh, – and, and that's another issue that divides traditional allies, if you will, 
uh, in the education system because there are a lot of people who you know, typically align, say, with Democrats on education issues who also are very much in favor of charter schools and, uh, and getting you know, effective funding for charter schools. And, uh, but at the same time, when you increase funding to charter schools, inevitably that takes money out of the pockets of traditional public schools. And so you, you've got uh, two competing things there. And of course, looks like that state, was looks like that was House Bill 1072 mm-hmm. and uh, nothing has happened with it since uh, February 10th. So right. So it didn't pass. That then. one so, didn't go anywhere. Right. So uh, but again, and, and you know, talking about taxes, you know, that what did get through and what will potentially have an effect on the state is uh, this massive tax cut bill that uh, made it through at the behest of initially it was House Republicans, and Senate Republicans did not want to go along with this at first because they wanted to wait until next year because next year is when they will work on and pass the state's two-year budget. But Governor Holcomb got behind uh, a tax cut package as well, siding with House Republicans, and that means that uh, the income tax rate, the state income tax rate, is going to gradually go down with the provision that was inserted in conference committee that if, say, if God forbid the economy tanks and state revenues tank in a couple of years, that that tax cut will be, quote-unquote, paused at that time. Now, there are a a lot of folks, uh, in particular uh, my friend Dr. Mike Hicks, the economist at Ball State, who by no stretch of the imagination is a liberal economist, who called this particular bill irresponsible at a time of so much uncertainty in the economy overall right now between what's going on with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, with, uh, you know, we're still coming out of the pandemic. We don't know what's going to be happening in the next couple of years. And as he points out, Indiana's economy may not be overall as strong as it appears on the surface, because while we do have a lot of jobs, we have low unemployment, a lot of those jobs, frankly, don't pay a whole lot of money. Uh, and that's that, I'm paraphrasing Dr. Hicks there because he would say it a lot more erudibly than, than I would. Uh, but we've, we've got a lot of warehouse jobs in this state. And if something happens to those jobs, then there's nothing to replace it. Manufacturing is good right now, but manufacturing is not going to be the overall base of the economy like it used to be back in the day in Indiana and a lot of other Midwestern states. And so while we are flush with cash right now, and that's why they they passed an an expansion of the automatic tax refund where more Hoosiers are going to get uh, money back in their uh, their state income taxes. They passed this tax cut bill aimed at uh, individuals and some businesses. Uh, That might not be a good thing two, three years down the road, and that's going to affect not just schools, but every part of Indiana. Ray, we're short on time. We got about a minute left. Do you remember the there was a bill at the beginning? The Mary, I think it's the Marion County Crime Reduction Pilot. Uh, that's where they wanted to essentially put a state board over IMPD. Did 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 that one become anything? Um, I believe uh, what became of that is they they are going to nominally create a commission. It's not going to be a state board to oversee IMPD but it's going to be an anti-crime commission made up exclusively of police chiefs and other law enforcement. Uh, it's not going to include, unlike you know, what's going on in Indianapolis, uh, any civilians, uh, civilian over, like the Civilian Oversight okay. Board for Police Brutality. So you know, a lot of you know, some eyebrows raised at that, but it was, it was done essentially in response 
to civilians being in the majority of some of the boards determining what happens at IMPD right now. So, again, a, a weaker version of what was originally pushed, which would have been a state board governing IMPD, that's not exactly happening. But, of course, they did pass the uh, bail reform that was specifically aimed at the bail project and the work that they do in Indianapolis. That did get through, and so now there are going to be a lot more rules that the bail project and other nonprofits have to follow if they want to pay bail to defendants here in Marion County and anywhere across the state. Woo, a lot to stay on top of, and Ray, man, you did a great job doing it, uh, especially throughout the entire uh, session. A lot to stay on top of. Ray, are you still producing the noon show? I still do. Uh, we do a lot with our WRTV live stream channel, which is uh, 24-7 content. If you have a Roku or Apple TV, a Fire TV, or a Fire Stick, or any other streaming device, you can see it there. Uh, and still uh, doing a part of Good Morning Indiana as well. All right. Way to take that plug, man. I threw it at you. You caught it, my man. Ray Steele. I appreciate it, Cameron. Thank you. I'm glad you could come on. Good to talk to you. Ray Steele from WRTV. Thank you so much. Still to come here on the show this morning, it's time to talk with Indigo. Lots happening with the new bus rapid transit lines. Leslie Gordon has details on hiring, on construction detours from both car drivers and bus riders, and we will also have information on how you, if you've got a business, can get some of this money from these construction projects. The details coming up right here on Open Lines. We are back after this. Back to Open Lines with Cameron Riddle on Hot 96.3. And we are back here on Hot 96.3 and 106.7 WTLC. I'm Indy's newsman, Cameron Moto, on this Sunday, the 13th. Uh, again, check your clocks, everybody. If you're feeling weird, it's because we had daylight savings time hit us. So all is well. I was good until I got in the car and it said it was like 640, uh, which means I should have still been in bed. But I was in the car coming to the station. So all is good. So if you're feeling weird this morning, uh, that is why. On a serious note, though, uh, real quick, I do want to uh, stop for just a second and let you all know some some breaking news that we're waking up to here uh, this morning. And that is regarding what is happening uh, overseas with Ukraine. Overnight, at least 35 people were killed in a Russian missile strike uh, on a military base near the border of Poland. And that is concerning because... Uh, once you have started attacking Poland, that's unfortunately the literal beginning of World War III. So we're not there yet. This happened on the border. But you're going to hear a lot of concern today about what is next. Because once you start attacking Poland, which is one of our allies, that is when the United States and everybody from NATO has to arm up. So uh, unfortunate news overnight, but we are hoping that it does not escalate any closer into Poland than what has been breaking uh, here this morning with this Russian war uh, in Ukraine. So uh, let's let's all pray. I know we're all 
getting hit with some tough gas prices right now, but paying, and I know that hurts, but that is nothing to what's going on overseas, and we do not have to worry about you know uh, war happening right here. We're thankful there's no planes flying above us uh, making destruction. So uh, that is the price that we are having to pay right now, and that is the news of what is actually happening in the world this morning. On another note, Indigo has been hard at work for the past several years, and they are hard at work right now as construction has now officially uh, begun with the Purple Line. Uh, And so you're going to notice some road closures along 38th Street and eventually Post Road. But right now, starting at uh, 38th Street to bring us up to speed on what is going on construction-wise, as well as job opportunities and how you can get your hands on some of these contracts if you've got a construction company or something of the like. Leslie Gordon is the Vice President of Marketing and Communications. She joins us on our live line right now. Leslie, good morning. Good morning, good morning. So glad to have you. How are you feeling with this time change? (laughs) I felt a little off, too. I woke up and I was like, oh, I I got to sleep in, and then it hit me. And, yeah, the the coffee is needed today, but we're doing all right. Or after the show, I'm going to go back, give me a little nap. So. You guys, uh, I have not been napping over at, uh, I'm sure you need a nap uh, from everything that you've been going through the past couple of weeks with getting construction uh, finally underway with the Purple Line. There are officially road closures now, right? Correct. You are right. We all do. I was like, we have been working really hard, but a really great team. We were able to start that construction and that first close. Roll into a 130 day closure there from Fall Creek to Keystone. So we are um, really working diligently to make sure that that stays um, as le- at least impactful as possible. So that's a full um, eastbound or yeah, eastbound closure, westbound closure. I'm a, I apologize, and you are able to travel eastbound. So still able to work that and there's a small detour but um we understand it's going to impact lots of uh, vehicular travel and some of our riders Uh, i'm going to open the phone lines up early uh in this segment because i know folks are going to have questions and that's what we want we want you to be able to answer questions 317-239-9696 317-239-9696 if you have questions about indigo the construction the detours hiring opportunities or some of these contracts i'm going to ask leslie about all that but if you've got questions about it dial now uh leslie so hiring let's start there uh obviously you guys are going to need a lot of uh drivers uh for these rapid transit lines and i assume probably other office staff and maybe mechanics as well maybe you said it we are hiring in almost every department right now um like so many other industries and transit agencies across the nation, we are looking at some shortages. So if you know someone that needs a good job with some of the best benefits in the state and has a knack for working with people, we need some operators. Want all those other things? Want to work with people? We're also hiring in our maintenance department and IT department. So, yes, there are lots of opportunities for jobs at Indigo right now. And you can apply online at indigo.net slash employment. And what do you start uh, your drivers off at? They are right at, oh, that is a wonderful question. I believe it's just a little over $16 if you do not have your CDL. And we do pay you while we train you and help you and certify you to get your CDL. And then after training, what do you get? 
Yes, I believe that first year you start out at a little, like eighteen and a half dollars. Okay, and that's and that's for new drivers. What about if you've got you've been driving for twenty years or something? Is there a different pay? Yes. So I mean, there is a scale, but it is well over twenty dollars an okay. hour. So and it obviously it just depends on the longer you've been there. Um, we are unionized and work really great with ATU um, to make sure that our drivers are represented well. All right, let's go to the phone lines. He's got lots of calls here. Let's go to caller on line two. Good morning. Who's this? Hello? This Tank. Good morning. Good morning. You're live on the air. What's on your mind? So I'm calling. Um, okay, so, again, there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of millions of dollars passing through this area. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for those of us that are self-employed, uh, insured, bonded, uh, got the necessary credentials, uh, I'm sure there's going to be a, a competition to get into that. Uh, aside the contractors that are already working on the road, those big guys, do you have any um, covenants in place for them to maybe hire some of the subcontractors? So maybe we can't get in directly with the bus company, but is there any covenants or any agreements in place to say, hey, you know, we'll hire you guys, but we need you to hire a percentage of this group of people? That's an excellent question. Don't hang up. Leslie? Wonderful question. So it's twofold there. So when we have these big capital projects like the Purple Line and the Blue Line, the a good significant amount of that funding comes from the federal government. And they don't have um, specific um, hiring guidelines or goals, but we do set those goals when we bid out the contract. And we do our best to have our contractors that win that. We have to go with the lowest bid on those. But we do work with them to meet those um, diversity goals through subcontractors. The best way for those um, smaller companies or disadvantaged enterprises to work with us is really to work directly with Indigo. We place um, contracts up for bid very often for various jobs, um, not just these bigger um, construction jobs. I mean, we're talking IT, we're talking cleaning, we're talking um, tra- other transportation contracts. So there's it varies. So I would say the best way is to work, go through our website. We have a whole procurement page that lists those contracts, and it even lists what's coming up. So you can see what's coming down the line and see if that applies or call and ask some questions. And we also have a program that we've piloted and are rolling out for the second time. Um, and the applications for those are open now for you to learn how to submit that proposal to ensure that you have a better opportunity to work with us. So we are trying multiple ways to make sure that we are getting those dollars to our smaller businesses, to our local businesses, to our disadvantaged businesses. And as an agency, we we have a goal of a little over, I believe, um, a little over 10% um, DBE goals, but we're continually surpassing that the past few years, and we're continuing to add on to that goal. But we realize we got to walk before we run, and a lot of those um, organizations still need some of that assistance to navigate the the barriers that can sometimes be in place to get those contracts. So, Teague, did that answer your question? Yes, that did. And basically, you saying you, we can deal directly. Yes. With them, and they have plenty of, of uh, things available for those of us that are looking. 
Yes, that and that's what raised my eyebrows because Leslie, what he said was, you know, we try to hit up these people who have the contracts and we try to get a subcontract. But you just said, don't even bother with all that. You can come get your own contract. Correct. I wouldn't say, I mean, we want it all the way around. We mm-hmm. want to make sure that everything is representative as much as possible. But that's but not the only way to get in. Exactly. Exactly. That is not the only way. And sometimes once you start with us, it can make the transition to the bigger contracts as a subcontractor even um, easier. So I would definitely say start there. And we will, we always want to work with our disadvantaged businesses because um, we know how important that is. So we definitely encourage you to reach out to us directly. Y'all heard her. Let's go. All right. Thank you, T. Appreciate it, man. 317-239-9696. Caller on line three. Good morning. Who's this? You're live on Open Lines. Uh, just one thing, Cameron. All right, 30 hey, seconds, on, on some of the buses coming across town, right, from black areas, they have security on those buses. What they're doing is asking you where you're going when you get on these buses, and uh, they don't really want them down to Carson uh, Transportation Center, but they've got security on their buses like that are coming from out there on the east side, and he's asking you where you are going on your bus trip. So uh, I think that's one of the features that they're going to try to control. And on 38th Street, they're going to close those businesses down. That's what their aim is, so that the new businesses can come in. All that development out there by the old Value City. All right, Larry, that's time. Guys church down. Sorry, Kevin, but that's what Indy goes all about, uh, engineering. Thank all right. You. Thank you, you Larry. You, you tried last week with that, and I would say you, you got some misinformation on that one for sure. I can just tell you capacity alone, we do not have the capacity to to monitor where people are going while they're getting on the bus. So I know that to be something that's not happening through Indigo at all. That is not. We just are trying to get people where they want to go. All right. More callers. 317-239-9696. 317-239-9696. Caller on. Wait. Nope. Wrong button. Caller on line one. Good morning. Who's this? Hey, Cameron. It's me again. I'm calling back. I want to ask your guest. Um, greetings to your guest. Um, 30 seconds or less. Age, what would be the age uh, that you guys are accepting? Because I know there's a resp- big responsibility in driving a bus. Uh, what would you say to the young person? Uh, say this 18 or 19 that wants to come down and, and uh, take a shot, what would be the age that you guys would be willing to accept? I can answer that. It's 21. You got to be 21. Oh, okay. Okay. So you young people here that if you're 21 years old, this might be a good chance for you to go down there and start a career. Y'all have a great day. Thank you. All right. Yeah, you have to be 21 in Indiana to transport passengers on a CDL. Uh, caller online two three one seven two three nine ninety six ninety six three one seven two three nine ninety six ninety six. Caller online too. Good morning. Who's this? Hello. 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 You're live on the air. Who's this? My question is, um, why don't they elevate the um, electric um, rail lines in Indianapolis? There's lots of major streets that they could do that, and they could have in- implemented the. Um, rail line like when they had the hospitals going from hospital to hospital that's just a waste wasted space right now because some of these streets aren't big enough for these buses cause a lot of con- congestion can excellent hmm. question um uh hmm. in the essence of yeah. time i'm just going to tell you it like this ask that question uh to a person like senator aaron freeman 
and okay. some of your and I'm and I'm not trying to be cute here. Legitimately, yeah, ask that question to Senator Aaron Freeman and some of the mm-hmm. Indiana Republicans who have made it illegal to have the train that you are asking for in Indianapolis. There is a law that says mm. Indianapolis Marion County cannot have a light rail train of any kind in Marion County. I've never heard of such a law being placed. That's not the law anywhere else or in Carmel or in other big cities. Exactly. But the answer, why does it have to be buses, is because it's illegal to put a train there. And we're just seems to be so far behind the time as far as, like, uh, transportation. That's why I asked that question. That's the reason why. So you should ask ask that question. Uh, Start with Aaron Freeman. Start okay. With, all right. Thank you. All right. Have, Thank you. Have a blessed day. Bye-bye. All right. I'm trying to blow through these calls because the phone phone is hot. Uh, caller on line three. Good morning. Who's this? Oh, good morning. I have a question. Why ain't some of your bus drivers more courteous to the bus riders? And also, I think that they need to slow their road down. Because you have a lot of drivers that drive awfully fast, like right up there near Washington, Mid-Offer, where they make that turn. They make that turn so quick, I almost slid off the seat. And I think that they need to have seat belts on those seats for people that are handicapped, not just for wheelchairs, but I'm talking about for walkers and, and people like that. Thank you so much for the question, Leslie, to you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, big question. And uh, our our operators are on the front line every day. They see a lot. And no excuses. We always ask that they are courteous and, you know, do their do their job with the utmost respect. But I, I'm not naive. We know some days it is not that easy and it doesn't always happen. Um, what you can do is if you do – encounter an operator that is not um, is going out of their way to be um, I guess uh, not pleasant you are able to report that and then we are able to pull that tape we're able to reprimand them accordingly because no we do not want to have that type of uh, energy on our buses is what I'll say um, same with speeding um, same thing get that bus number get the time of day you don't even have to engage with the operator to know that because we do want to know that and we want to make sure that everyone is being safe but I would say let's we all, I think we all have to give everyone a little bit of grace these days um, tensions are high stresses are high but um, no the goal is to have a pleasant ride on your commute all right let's jump in with one more call caller on line one good morning who's this good morning Good morning. You're live on the air. You got 30 seconds. Okay. I have two questions. Okay. Um, the first question I have um, for Indigo and the, and I guess the near future um, with the yellow line and the purple line coming along with the red line, how will y'all be, how will y'all protect your drivers from physical harm? And two, where are y'all getting the names from? Um, because the red line isn't that associated um, with like a slavery type ordeal. First line or first question. Thank you for the thank um, you for the call. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. The barriers. Um, once COVID hit, we put the barriers there to help protect people or protect our operators and our riders. Um, with that, to extend the the closeness. 
to make sure that people weren't too close while they were paying their fare, but it is an also added barrier of protection for our operators. Um, and there, and those are on our fleet wide, and we're going to continue to move forward with those. And then that second question, um, while I did not name the red line, the red line, purple line, blue line, there are lines of every color all around the nation. It's kind of a transit, um, transit naming practice. But um, I will say hindsight is 2020, right? And um, it definitely does have some connotations more toward um, segregation, not so much uh, slavery and bad um, housing practices. But I can assure you red line is two words. So not exactly the same word, definitely not the same meaning. And our goal, again, is to let everybody get where they need to go with as much ease and access as possible. That is a uh, excellent way to answer, answer that question, because I've heard people kind of ask that, too. But most transit agencies do it by color rather than numbers sometimes to help. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easier to remember that it's the orange line rather than the 56 or something like that. Leslie, you did a great yeah. job answering uh, answering <laughs> that question. That was I was very educational. Oh, for more educational things on Indigo and where people can go, uh, you answered all of the big questions that I know people had because the phones were hot the entire time. Uh, and we never have too much time. Where can people go to get more information about routes, closures, detours, hiring, and how to get in with some of those construction projects that T asked about? Yes, our website, indigo.net, um, for the purple line slash purple for employment slash employment. And you can always call into our customer service line during business hours at 317-635-3344. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of Open Lines. Leslie Gordon from Indigo, thank you so much for coming on this morning. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Cam. All right. Uh, Thank you to Ray Steele from WRTV for spending some time with us and keeping us updated on what is happening at the Statehouse. All right. Walk around your house right now and go change your clock. Spring them forward one hour. It is now 9 o'clock, not 8 o'clock. So with that said, have a great Sunday. We will see you back here same time, same stations next Sunday, live at 8. I'm Cameron Rodel. Have a great day.